Now we're doing a study of the life of Joseph and we've come to a time when uh, in this study to look at the, at the temptation that came to this young man's life. Now I'm aware tonight that um, many of you here have, um, uh, are beyond this sermon perhaps, but uh, <laughs> you may know um, somebody that uh, struggles with the temptation that Joseph experienced. And um, we, we want to look at the um, principle of temptation itself in human life, not just the temptation to sensual desire. And the 39th chapter of Genesis is our uh, basis for this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer died when he was 39. He was um, martyred by the Nazis, by Hitler's group. He died on August the 9th, 1945. And even though he was only 39 years of age, he had already become one of Germany's most popular pragmatic theologians. He wrote several books. He wrote a book on the cost of discipleship, Cheap Grace. He wrote a book that I have in my library, one of the best books on koinonia, on fellowship that's ever been written. And he wrote a little booklet on temptation. If you have an opportunity to get that, you'll, you'll, need, you'll profit greatly by it. And in this little booklet on temptation, he talks about the struggle that goes on when men encounter temptation and makes this one-line statement. Whenever I encounter temptation, everything within me rises against the Word of God. I think I have experienced that and so have you to be tempted and yet everything within us rising against everything that I know to be right and true. Everything uh, rises against the Word of God. There has, no one, there has been no one on earth who has not encountered temptation. No one including Jesus Christ Himself. And there has been no one on earth who has not yielded to temptation with the exception of Jesus Christ. Temptation comes in various forms. There is material lust, that is the lust for things. It may be as big as a house or as small as a ring. It may be as shiny as a new car or as antiquated as a rich, marvelous antique. The lust for things, I want that thing. There can, be the, there can be personal lust, that is, the desire for a name, for power, the desire for the ability to control people, for a title. A businessman told me one time that he had a conflict with some of his employers. One of the leading men, persons of his employment, decided he was going to quit and so he went and talked to him. He said, I wasn't prepared to offer him a raise, but I did want him to stay. So he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you vice president. Just give him that title. I mean, it didn't change anything. He said, he said I'll just make you vice president of my company. And the guy said, that is great. He said he, he worked his head off after that, got the same pay and had the same job. What he wanted was a title. 
The biographer of Mussolini said that one time Mussolini said in her presence, I am obsessed by one wild desire. It has consumed my whole being. I want to make a mark on my era by my will. Uh, a mark like this. And with his fingernails, he scratched the back of a chair and said, like the claw of a lion. There can be personal lust, the desire to control and power to manipulate. And then there can be sensual temptation, which is the subject of Genesis 39. The lust for another person the desire to have and enjoy that which is not our own, either legally or morally. And so I want to speak tonight to that subject. And I want to challenge you to hear this, both young and old. And we're going to divide this study up into several sections. First of all, the historical, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. There, is, there are two things that are um, conspicuous by their absence from verse 1. One is the length of time that took place prior to this. There's no record of that. Could have been two months, could have been four and a half years, but there was this period of time that transpired from the time Joseph went to Egypt and these words. The second thing that is conspicuous by its absence is that there is nothing said here about the adjustments that Joseph had to make, and he had to make some. He was the product of a doting, doting father. His father had given him clothes, beautiful clothes, he had lavished upon him favors as his favorite and he'd sent him out to be with his brothers and told him he didn't have to work. And here was Joseph in this strange land with all kinds of adjustments to make. A thousand miles from home, the adjustment to a new language and to home life. And now he is the, he is the, he is the property of the captain of the bodyguard which would kind of be the equivalent of the director of the FBI in our time. Somebody said that what this means is that this man was the chief executioner. He took care of the group that put people to death. Now he wasn't a, you know, a guy you'd want to befriend you know, in your normal um, desire to find friends. I mean, around this man is significant you were on your best behavior. This was the guy who could snap his fingers and execution would take place. Verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph. You can underline that because that will come up again in just a moment. And the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. Now, I don't know how far we can stretch this, but I have a strong feeling that any time a man is successful in anything he does, it's because God's hand is upon his life. Somewhere I have read that God gives the ability to prosper. So that if you have find a man that is successful, prosperous, he may not know it, and, and, and very few people may know it, but it's because God has blessed that man's life. I'm convinced that behind the success of folks 
is the goodness of God, God's hand upon his life. Now, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. I'm impressed by the fact that Joseph didn't have to tell his master that the Lord was with him. It seems to me that if a man is living um, like he ought to live and the Lord is really in that man's life with that man, his hand is on him, that the people around that person ought to be aware that the Lord was with him, that the Lord is with him. You don't have to tell anybody that God is in, with you and in your life or shouldn't have to. It ought to be that every person that touches your life, wherever your life is, ought to see the Lord at work in you. Now, is there anybody who looks at your life and says, the Lord is with that man, the Lord is with him. It looks like that that might be the goal of every believer, to live such a life that somebody, that the people that touch his life will say, the Lord is with him. The Lord is in that person's life. I see God in him. Now verse, verse 3, Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant and he made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned he put in his charge. And it came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus, the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. What trust there is there. Now watch this. And with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. I mean, here's this captain of the bodyguard who has put everything in Joseph's charge. And he's not even, he, he, he doesn't worry about anything except what he gets to eat. Now, there's something significant in that, and that is this, that with the greater, with the greater privilege comes the greater vulnerability to temptation. You can mark it down. That with the greater privileges, with the greater prosperity and blessing, comes the greater vulnerability to temptation. F.B. Meyer once said, we can expect temptation in the days of prosperity and ease rather than in privation and toil, not where men frown, but where men smile. It is there, he said, that the tempter awaits. If you go armed anywhere, be sure and go armed there. In other words, put on the whole armor of God in the, in, when, when prosperity comes because you have the greatest vulnerability to Satan then that at any other time in your life, Carlisle said, that it's... That, that adversity is hard on a man, but for every man that can stand prosperity, there are a hundred that can stand adversity. I mean, Joseph is set up for temptation. All right, look at verse 7, 7 through 14. Verses 17, 7 through 14 to the sensual temptation. Look at verse 7, how it starts. 
And it came about after these events. You can just kind of hear the drums start rolling and the violins, the ominous sound. After these events, Joseph is prime target for temptation. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused. Note the words. But he refused. Don't forget these words. Lest you think that Joseph was just kind of surrounded by a bubble and God, because God was with him, was going to protect him from temptation. Lest you think that. Read those words. But he refused. And it shoots down the lie that says, when temptation came, I just couldn't resist. Um, I've talked to people who have, who have given in, who have surrendered to temptation, and they've you know, said to me, I don't know what happened to me, but I, I just caught up, got caught up in temptation, in the, in the, in the uh, pressure of that moment, and I just couldn't say no. Yes, you can say no. Now, how did he resist? He resisted, he said, the, the scripture says, because of two reasons. There are two things that enabled Joseph to resist the temptation. One was that he had a, a professional loyalty to his master. Now, look at what he says in verse 8. He said, Behold with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. Number one, he, would, he refused because he didn't want to hurt the people that were around him. Now, temptation comes, you know, from time to time, in various ways. We've already established that. Now, now, if you're totally selfish and all you think about is self, you can yield to temptation. But if you'll stop and, and think just for a moment, how many people is this going to hurt? How many people are going to suffer because I can't do this? I have a wife. I have children. I have, a, I, have a, I have a job. I have people that I work with that believe in me and trust in me. I, I can't do this awful thing because somebody in my world will suffer as the result of it. The second thing that enabled him to resist temptation is found in verse 9. He says, There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? So it was a moral reason that he refused. He saw that yielding to the temptation was a sin against God, and he labeled it for what it was. It was evil. Now you can rationalize all you want to um, sin and say, well, this, you know, this is not so bad. What, you know, the bumper stickers, you've read them, you know, if it feels good, you know, I'll do it. Um, but if it is a temptation to sin, it is an evil sin against God. 
Alexander McLaren talks about this a little bit. He said tradition has it that at the moment that Joseph said that, that uh, the wife of the captain took her cloak and tossed it over the bust of her God that was erected there in the court. And she said, see Joseph, God can't see anymore. And Joseph said, my God always sees. I think it's pretty good. May not have, may not have happened. That may be pure speculation, but the, but the principle remains and the truth is the same. God always sees. And if you don't label it evil and sin, he certainly does. I can't do this. This is sin against God. It's evil. Now, if you think that temptation resisted will vanish and just go away, you look at verse 10. And it came about as she spoke to Joseph day after day, day after that day, that he did not listen to her to lie beside her or even be with her, underline it. Now this was a temptation. It didn't just happen there at one moment. It came day after day and it wore upon this man. It always happens that way. When you resist temptation, the, the, it, the, you become the challenge of the tempter or the temptress. You become the challenge and they just the temptation comes again and again. By the way, James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now how did this happen? How, do we, how does sin happen in a person's life? It happens because we want it to happen. Guy said one time, he said, Man, I did this terrible thing. I didn't really want that to happen. It just happened. I said, Yes, you did want it to happen. There is this inner desire that draws one to the outer bait. There is the inner desire and the outer bait. There is no sin in the bait, the sin is in the bite. And the reason we yield to temptation is because we want to yield to temptation. And verse 12 says, now verse 11, Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there beside him. It's just perfect setup. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled, and the Hebrew says, and fled into the street. Now listen to me, young people. The Bible gives some instruction about what to do when temptation comes. It doesn't say, um, think it through and rationalize it and plan it. It doesn't say, when temptation comes, quote scripture. The Bible says that when temptation comes, get out of there. I mean, don't even stay where temptation is. 
Now, sometimes we wonder, you know, is it wrong for me to go here and wrong for me to do that? If temptation finds you there, get out of there. I mean, he fled into the street, left his garment behind and split. And it enraged this woman, you know the story. And so she called her husband in and said, this man tried to seduce me, to attack me, left his cloak behind. And so the captain of the guard chunked him down into the dungeon. Now, I don't think he really believed her completely. Do you? I mean, if he had really believed his wife, he would have snapped his fingers and Joseph been a dead man. I mean, he was the chief executioner. I, I think, I, I believe that he threw him in the dungeon because he never, he didn't really believe his wife. And if you'll read the passage that follows, it says, watch, and the Lord was with him. Now, have you ever thought about that? Has that ever occurred to you? Oh, sure, we feel that the Lord is with us when the sun shines and everything is going great and I'm prosperous making it, you know, making it great in life. Oh, God is with me. God is blessing me. Can you believe that God is with you when you've been mistreated, lied about, deceived, and chunked into the dungeons? Can you believe that God is with you there? Listen, folks, you don't have a good relationship. You don't have a relationship with God unless you believe that God is as much with you in the darkness as He is with you in the light. As much with you when the times are, are bad as He is with you when the times are good. Now the application, and I'll quit. Four things. I want you to get these down. This lady was telling me this morning from Lubbock, Texas, who was in our service, she said, every service... We just take notes like crazy. He said, our young people all sit together on Sunday morning and just get notes. I said, we do too. A couple of us. <laughs> Who? That's we, that's plural. We do too. I wasn't going to let them get the best of me. <laughs> we do too. She said, well, I just, I, my, my, my pastor said, I just love to hear the rustle of those note pages. I said, that's what I say. I just love to hear the rustle of Four things. Number one, you're going, to, you're, going to fill, you're, going to, you're going to complete the sentence and the sentence is going to be the same and you fill out and you complete it. The, the, the first part of it is this. If you plan to resist temptation, you must. Okay? If you plan to resist temptation, you must. Okay? Young people, adults, everybody, ready? Got your pen, pencil? Good. If you plan to resist temptation, you must not be weakened by your situation. If you plan to resist temptation, you must not be weakened by your situation. What is your situation? Is it that you're thrown in where you're employed with all kinds of foul mouth folks? Don't be weakened by that situation. Is it because you, 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 are, are, you, know, uh, uh, you, you have the pressure of your peer groups and, and you might not uh, uh, you know, get elected to the top, you know, uh, uh, 
most popular person in, in DHS. Don't be weakened by your situation. Don't let the situation you're in contribute to the temptation that comes. Second, if you plan to resist temptation, you must not be deceived by the persuasiveness of the tempter. You must not be deceived by the persuasiveness of the tempter. Now, your tempter will have just the right words. I have noticed this over and over again. Your tempter will have just the right words. Now, I'm not just, I'm not just talking about Satan. I'm talking about your tempter or temptress. Like, like this. Her husband doesn't meet her needs. We'll never be found out. Nobody's ever going to know. We'll be perfectly safe. We're going to get married anyway, so why should we wait? Just this one time, never again, just this once. I'm so terribly lonely. What is grace if grace can't cover this? The greatest gift you will give to your marriage is your virginity. The greatest character trait you can provide your family is self-control. I must say that to a television audience. The greatest character trait you can provide your family, your children, is self-control is the ability to be in control when temptation comes. Third, by the way, let me just say, there will, there will be these things, these things said, you know, in the dormitory and in the fraternity. Man, you're like a 1930 prude if you don't do that. That's the persuasive power of the tempter. Number three, you must not be gentle with your emotions. You must not be gentle with your emotions. They'll get down on their knees and plead with you. That is your emotions. Verses 8, 10, and 12 give us an indication that the emotion will plead with you. And all kinds of emotions get all mixed up into this thing. When I was pastoring out in West Texas, one of my best youth workers, volunteer youth worker, a married man, had two children, fell in love with one of the high school kids. And she'd come and talk to him about, you know, all her problems at home and all those kinds of things. And he persuaded her to run off with him. They went off and lived a couple of days together. And... Uh, she began to get a little cold feet over the situation, came back home. She was like a junior in high school. I went and talked to this guy. This is what he told me. He said, I feel so sorry for her and I have so much sympathy and I was, I was able to help her and counsel her. He, he, he was too gentle with his emotion. Don't be gentle with your emotion. God's will and God's way is the way a man is to stand 
Dog Hamashul in his little book, Marking, said, you can't play with the animal within you without becoming holy animal. He who wants to keep his garden tidy doesn't keep a plot for the weeds. There's no place in my life for that, regardless of the emotion. Fourth, you must not be confused with the immediate results. You must not be confused with the immediate results. Now watch this. If you resist temptation, you may lose your job. I mean, after all, Joseph, he resisted temptation. What did it get him? Got him a prison cell. Got him a dungeon. Even there he got betrayed. I mean, you'd think that if a man stood for what is right, if he, if he resisted temptation because he wouldn't want to hurt anybody around him and he wouldn't want to sin against God, that God protect him. That was the immediate res result. He got himself chunked into a dungeon. You may lose your job. I know a guy got transferred, it's a true story, got transferred from the East Coast out to California, become an executive with a, with a firm out there. It's a dynamic Christian in a church I met when I was traveling in the Northwest. And he said, I got invited to this office party. And I went to that office party. He said, everybody was drinking. And, and he said, they were all just getting you know, stoned out of there. Gordy said, I had been a Christian for about six months re listening to Adrian Rogers' tapes, believe it or not, from Tulsa, from uh, uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And he became a Christian. They were in a small Bible study group. He said, you know, I went to that office party and so all those executives from this corporation saw me resisting that, that kind of thing, refusing that kind of thing. He said, you know what happened? He said, I lost my job. He said, I lost everything. But he said, it didn't matter to me. That's the immediate result. It may be that you'll lose your lover if you want to call them that. It may be that you will lose acceptance by the group and be bumped out of the club. If you name the name of Jesus fully, you may suffer the consequences for it. But don't be confused by the immediate result because there's something left for you. I can promise you that. And not only is there something left for you in the future, there's something that happens on the inside of you, says Bonhoeffer in his little book on temptation, that gives you the greatest triumph and peace and joy and victory that can ever come. Now it's time to clean up our act. Let's pray together. We're not going to have an invitation tonight, so after our prayer... Yes, we are going to have an invitation tonight. I think we should, don't you? After our prayer, we're going to give an invitation for you to join the church, for you to come and give your life to Christ if you've never been saved, or to confess your sin before God. I mean, this is sin maybe that you're involved in. You want to come and get it right with God. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that after we've prayed. Father, thank you so much that you put up these little white crosses along the way to remind us of the mistakes of others and of the victories of others to challenge us and to encourage us to do better. Lord, I pray that you'll just keep on reminding us that he that is within us is greater than he that is in the world. Forgive us, Lord, where we sin. Lord, we know that it's not a sin to be tempted. 
but to yield to that temptation only a sin. And Lord, we know that Jesus was in every point tempted as we are and yet without sin. So he is our sympathetic high priest and we can run to him and find help. So we do. In his name I pray, amen.